you song leaders. Isaiah always kills it on that song, doesn't he? Uh, we do have to give a round of applause for Natalia Belt uh, Modragon. Natalia, where was she? Guys, didn't, didn't Natalia do an amazing job for communion? I mean, she, she says she's shy and not outgoing. She is a phenomenal public speaker. That, that was impressive. And I really appreciate your heart, sis, uh, for being so vulnerable with us. That glass box analogy was, I think, awesome, as well as the castle with the dragons surrounding, you know? So I think that was incredible. And then you got to give it up for Rich Chan for sharing the contribution. I don't know if any of you have the same experience I have when I listen to Rich speak, but I'm kind of like hanging on every word. I have two challenges. I'm like, oh. Just give it to me, come on. It's like he pauses so well, right? as he's about to say something. So thank you, Rich, for helping us uh, to have the right heart in giving our contribution. Well, uh, today we're going to be studying out an incredible man in the Bible. Open up to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And uh, please uh, keep Evan and Kelly in your prayers. They are right now in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, actually, as, as we are, you know, hearing a lesson right now, uh, Evan, I think it's the same time zone, Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. Central. Okay, so that means, that means Evan already has preached the word to the Minneapolis church. So uh, please pray for their safe travels back home to Toronto. They're coming uh, back in tomorrow uh, evening, I believe. I know Chase Bartholomew is very fired up about that. And uh, I believe Kelly uh, blew it out of the park and gave an incredible Women's Day speech on Friday. So uh, they had a lot of incredible visitors at their Minneapolis-St. Paul Women's Day. So that, that was awesome to hear as well. Matthew chapter 16 in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know, Peter here gets an answer right, finally. If you don't know, Peter is the disciple whose nickname is the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth meaning he always put his foot in his mouth. On this occasion, though, he actually gets the answer right. He proudly proclaims Jesus as the Messiah. We know this uh, passage very well. It's part of what we call our kingdom study, our coming of the kingdom of God study. And so as Jesus has this dialogue with his apostles, I find it very interesting that as he was growing in power and influence, people were saying that he was like some of those in the Old Testament or even John the Baptist. And each of these men are pretty incredible. So John the Baptist, we remember, is in fact Jesus' cousin who is the one to prepare the way for Jesus. He, in fact, was a preacher in the wilderness who wore clothes made of camel's hair. Would you guys be fired up about wearing some camel hair clothing? It's not, it's not very comfortable. I think there's a brand called camel's hair, isn't there? It's like very soft, but, but camel's hair is actually very rough. 
So John the Baptist was rocking some camel hair, uh, you know, sweaters. Uh, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Not your average Joe uh, eating a salad, right? Wild locusts and honey. He preached to the people, to Roman soldiers, to the Pharisees, and eventually to the lead government official, Herod Antipas, who uh, married his brother's wife. And John the Baptist said, no, 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 that is not okay. He gets imprisoned by Herod and eventually is beheaded for preaching the truth. People were saying Jesus was a lot like John the Baptist, a fiery preacher of righteousness. The second guy that people were saying Jesus was like was the prophet Elijah. You guys familiar with the prophet Elijah from the Old Testament? He is one of the, one of the more prominent uh, prophets in which he actually, in his most defining moment, stands against the wicked king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. And he goes up on Mount Carmel, faces off against 850 false prophets, and they lay out two altars, one to the false god Baal and one to Jehovah God. And Elijah says, Whoever, whoever's God answers by fire, he is God. And it says that the Baal worshipers were dancing around and slashing themselves, trying to figure out how to get this, uh, this Baal God to answer them, even though it was obviously just their imagination. And Elijah over here prays, and then fire comes down and licks the earth from the altar. Isn't that awesome? That's Elijah. He then goes and kills those 850 false prophets. Je they were saying Jesus was a lot like Elijah. Not your politically correct, always nice, always sentimental Jesus that the 21st century world will give you today. And they were saying, Jesus, you remind us a lot of that guy Elijah who was just, you know, out there preaching the truth. And they saw the power they couldn't explain in how Jesus was performing miracle after miracle after miracle. But we don't have time to cover John the Baptist. We don't have time to cover Elijah. We're actually going to dive into who the prophet Jeremiah is. And uh, I love the prophet Jeremiah. It's actually the name of my, second born, uh, my, my firstborn son, secondborn child. Uh, you guys know him as JJ. So my plan is we're going to call him JJ. Right now he's four years old. He's going to be JJ until he turns 13. And then 13 years old, he's no longer JJ. He's now Jeremiah. In the same way, my thirdborn, my secondborn son, his name's Benaya. We're going to call him Baby Benny for a while. We'll call him Benny, you know, uh, as, he, as he gets older, four, five, six years old. But when he turns 13, he's no longer Benny. He's Benaya. I'm really excited about that. Lena, Lena's name is just going to stay the same. <laughs> Lena. But uh, we're going to study out the book Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. So please turn over to Jeremiah chapter 1. And, you know, to be honest, I'd say Jeremiah is one of the more overlooked books of the Old Testament. Would you guys agree? I think more often people are familiar with Isaiah, right, the more prominent prophet. But Jeremiah is, is a phenomenal example, as we're going to see, that can apply to much of what we do as disciples. Jeremiah 1, verse 1 to 3 reads, The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. 
And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. How many of those words just went over your head? Anybody willing to be honest here? Okay. Uh, yeah. A lot of Josiahs, a lot of Jehoiakims, a lot of Zedekiahs, a lot of Ayahs, right? Let me just break this down a little bit for us to have some context, because how much we understand of Jeremiah's political climate, spiritual climate, will help us understand the man Jeremiah and the message for us as disciples of Christ. Amen? So the year that he begins is 626 B.C., and this is when Jeremiah is called by God, and he, it says he begins during the reign of King Josiah. It's important for you to understand King Josiah is the last good king of Judah. Now, Rewind just a little bit. We're all familiar with King Solomon. You guys remember King Solomon? David's son in which uh, unparalleled time of prosperity and peace. Well, Solomon fails to really give the kingdom over to his next, his firstborn son, and the kingdom splits into two, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Israel gets taken into exile in 722 B.C. for their wickedness and their uh, rebellion towards God. So now we jump to 626 B.C., the last kingdom of God standing, kingdom of Judah, of which Jeremiah is preaching to. Now, Josiah dies in 609 B.C., fighting Egypt, trying to defend his land, and his son, Jehoaz, becomes king only in, in, in title, really, because Egypt beats jo Josiah, and Jehoaz becomes a puppet king or a puppet state to Egypt. Are you guys with me? You following me so far? Jehoaz only reigns for three months, and then Pharaoh uh, Necho, king of Egypt, takes him into uh, Egypt as a slave and then appoints Jehoiakim, his brother, in order, just like uh, Jehoaz, as a puppet king. And so again, this political turmoil and this constant shifting back and forth is important to understand Jeremiah and the anxieties that he must have faced in preaching the gospel. The good news of you're all wicked and you need to change. You may be wondering the gospel is good news. Well, it is good news for those that are righteous. For unrighteous, it's bad news. And Jeremiah is an example of preaching the gospel, which is bad news to the wicked, but good news to the righteous. Later on, four years later, uh, it is then Nebuchadnezzar that defeats Egypt, and they become the next world-dominating empire. And we're all familiar with King Nebuchadnezzar, right? No, it's not the ship from the Matrix, okay? I know some of you guys were thinking that. Did you even know that? So the ship, the original ship in The Matrix, 1999, The Matrix. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. it the ship is called Nebuchadnezzar. So a little fun fact. But that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon takes over Egypt, completely dominates the world, and takes the Jewish people into exile in three different stages, 605 B.C., 598 B.C., and 586 B.C. It's in 586 B.C. that the entire city of Jerusalem is reduced to rubble out of the rebellion that they had in their hearts towards God, of which God used Babylon to be the instrument of delivering that judgment. And so all that to say, Jeremiah's called to preach at that point. Can you imagine the anxiety in his heart going out and wondering who's going to be king today? What's it going to be like today? Are we going to have bread on the streets to buy? Is there going to be political turmoil? Is there going to be peace? 
to, to give a little bit of a, a modern-day example, imagine going and being a preacher of righteousness in Ukraine. As there are shells going overhead, as bullets are flying all throughout Ukraine, you're called to be a prophet to that generation. That would be somewhat similar to what, what Jeremiah is facing in his generation. And the threats that he felt on the outward level from Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon all over, hovering over his head, but also the internal decay of the people of Judah going back to their idol worship and forsaking God. And that is the primary focus of his 52 chapters, is calling out the unrighteousness of his generation. This only grasped a portion of how Jeremiah felt because not only was he preaching to the people of his day, he was right there with Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, the kings of Judah. And he was let down time and time again by these leaders who failed to follow God. Do you ever feel a little bit like that as you look to the political leaders of our day? That you wish they would be righteous? You wish that they had a little more sense? You wish that they would do things in, in a better way and not be corrupt? Do you guys feel that way? Unless, unless, you know, you don't feel that way, amen. I'm glad you, you don't know about the political corruption that's out there. I know for everybody who I met from Nigeria, they all say the same thing. Like, man, I'm so glad to be here in Canada because in Nigeria, they're all corrupt over there. I'm like, bro, they're all corrupt here too, you know. But all that to say, Jeremiah was called in this time of great distress. He lived righteously and preached righteousness in a time filled with wickedness. The title of our lesson today, Righteous Living in an Unrighteous Generation. Righteous Living in an Unrighteous Generation. Turn over, uh, or let's keep reading here in uh, verse 4. Point number 1, called to be righteous. In verse 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. It's somewhat similar to what uh, Rich and Natalia were sharing earlier, isn't it? Before Jeremiah was born, he was called to be a prophet to the nations. God knew Jeremiah before he was born. And some of the, these are some of the most famous words, in fact, in the whole Bible. You can see these words all over. But not only was his appointment to preach to his neighbors. Not only was he to be a prophet to the city of Jerusalem, not only a prophet to the kingdom of Judah, he was going to be a prophet to the nations. The weight of the world is on Jeremiah's shoulders. You know, this responsibility must have been an upward call for Jeremiah. Most scholars believe he was between 17 to 25 years old. Do we have any 17 to 25-year-olds in the house? Is there, is there any over 25-year-olds in the house? Yeah! I know, I know all the over 25-year-olds were, were chuckling in our hearts when Isaiah said, I'm 25 and I'm getting old, you know. I'm not going to do that to you, okay? I'm 30 years old, so I, I'm not going to say I'm old either, okay? I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> it's not old. But Jeremiah, being a young man, is, an, is called to be a prophet to the nations. And I love that because that's a, as disciples, that's who we are. We are prophets to the nations. Not, not in the sense that we have miraculous prophecy to be able to give to the people of today. 
We don't believe that. We believe that we are the messengers that have the message to give to the world and to allow them to come into a relationship with God. And I, I, I love this poem that really, I think, personifies what Jeremiah must have felt. It reads like this. When I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it was difficult to change the world, so I tried to change my nation. When I found I couldn't change the nation, I began to focus on my town. I couldn't change the town. And as an older man, I tried to change my family. Now, as an old man, I realize the only thing I can change is myself. And suddenly I realized that if long ago I had changed myself, I could have made an impact on my family. My family and I could have made an impact on our town. Their impact could have changed the nation, and I could indeed have changed the world. I love that. Because we often can get caught up in changing the world. That was one of the things that I think millennials are all very much guilty of believing. I'm a millennial. And, uh, you know, you get told, hey, you can do anything in the world. You can change the world. And you start to believe it a little bit, you know, and you start thinking, oh, yeah, everyone else needs to change. And you forget that the most important thing you need to do is look in the mirror, as Michael Jackson said, <laughs> and make a change. And Jeremiah must have had that moment where he, he knew he needed to change to rise up to that calling. In a very similar way as disciples, we have to rise up to the call to be righteous. Because we live in a time of unrighteousness. Would we agree? A time of wickedness. A time where people are disregarding God at every single turn. You know, it's interesting that there's traffic Monday through Friday for everybody going to work, and yet everybody says they're Christians, but on Sunday there's no traffic. You guys ever thought about that? That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because people are, are obviously saying one thing, but their hearts are far from God. And it's because they haven't had that man in the mirror moment. In order for us to change the world, family, we need to look in the mirror. We need to accept that call to be righteous. Turn over to Jeremiah 29. We're going to do a little bit of a jumping around here in the book of Jeremiah. We obviously don't have time to read all of it, all 52 chapters. We would probably be here until 4 p.m., and I don't want to do that to you. But in Jeremiah 29, in verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. You know, I love God's words here to Israel. A, re a rebellious nation of Israel is being told, I still have plans for you. And do you remember that moment where you realize that all of your past, when you were studying the Bible, God is not interested in the past so much as the present and the future? You know, I remember sitting down and studying the Bible, and I'm like, so, so much wickedness in my past. And yet the guys studying with me were giving me hope that God wanted to use me. Just like Jeremiah, we can be used by God. And we can be used through the plans that God has laid out for us. The question for us is, do you trust those plans? To be righteous, you got to trust the plan to be righteous. 
If you don't trust his plans, you're not going to be righteous. Are you with me? If you, if you doubt in God's plan of being a disciple, then you're not going to actually apply yourself to living it out. And you got to ask yourself, is there any doubts in your heart about what God is calling you to do? We read words like, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Do you trust those words? You know, so oftentimes people can think of how much they're losing in becoming a disciple. And we're all looking for that moment when somebody realizes not how much they lose in becoming a disciple, but how much they gain in becoming a disciple. Jeremiah had a similar moment where he had to wrestle. Am I, I'm losing so much of my social approval. And in fact, God actually tells him not to marry specifically so that he would be a prophet completely set apart. And so he's lonely, no social approval. In fact, his whole ministry, he only makes one follower. Who knows the name of his follower? Baruch. Good old Baruch. Only one guy named Baruch follows Jeremiah across the span of his 30 years of preaching. All that, and Jeremiah had to say, do I want to embrace that and lose all that in order to gain God's calling? We have a very similar decision as disciples. Are we willing to lose everything in order to gain the calling of God? Turn over to Jeremiah, back over to Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's see what Jeremiah's response is to this calling. And one that maybe we can relate with. Amen? Verse 6. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak and I am too young. So you got to wonder, if he doesn't know how to speak, how did he say he could not know how to speak? <laughs> right? You know, I find it incredible because Jeremiah, his excuses are, are twofold, but they're really the same thing. I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. I, I, I can't do it. You guys ever had a moment like that? Maybe some of us, when we tried out for uh, the soccer team, basketball team, hockey team, and they tell us to run and do suicide runs or you know, do, do a drill, and we just say in our hearts, I can't do it. <laughs> you guys ever had a moment like that? And Jeremiah's having a moment where he say, I, I'm not capable. I, I can't do it. We, we write ourselves off so quickly in so many situations. Even as disciples, we, we hear the call to go out and share our faith. We hear the call to get involved in Bible studies, and we can say, I can't do it. I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to read. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. And we write ourselves off before ever even giving an attempt. We allow fear and doubts to stop us from righteous living. But what an incredible, what's incredible about how God made us is that we're stronger than we think. You're stronger than you think, church. You're more capable than you think. And it's time for us to start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And I, I actually have a, an incredible illustration of this, and it's going to be totally Canadian. Okay, No American illustration today. For those that don't know, I am originally from California. So I was, I was taught about the incredible uh, example, incredible inspiration of Terry Fox. And if you don't know who Terry Fox is, I didn't know who he was. I'm sorry. Now I do. Amen. And honestly, it, 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 I've been thinking about it all week since Josh Groves told me, the, the, one of the truest Canadians in the church, Josh Groves. He looked at me with these eyes of just disgust. You don't know who Terry Fox is? 
sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'll look it up. You know, I'll look him up. So if you don't know, Terry Fox is one of the most prominent figures in all of Canada. In 1977, 18-year-old Terry Fox was diagnosed with bone cancer and gave up his right leg to prevent the spread of the disease. After 14 months of training, Terry convinced the Canadian Cancer Society to help sponsor his run across Canada to raise funds and awareness for cancer research. At the end of the day, he raised $14 million. On April 12, 1980, Terry dipped his artificial leg into the Atlantic Ocean and began his marathon of hope across Canada. He covered 5,373 kilometers in 143 days, an average of 42 kilometers every day. 26 miles for us Americans in the room. I still don't really do the kilometers thing. I still don't do the Celsius thing either, so. I still think in Fahrenheit. <laughs> Whoa, I'm feeling a lot like Jeremiah right now. Amen. 26, or 42 kilometers per day. On September 1st, 1980, Terry was just outside Thunder Bay, Ontario, when he felt sharp pains in his chest. The cancer he thought that he had conquered had instead spread to his lungs. He returned to Vancouver for more treatments but lost his battle with cancer on June 28, 1981, exactly one month shy of his 23rd birthday. A man with an artificial leg ran 42 kilometers, a marathon every single day for 143 days. Think about that. That's the, the willpower of mankind. He's stronger than he thought. And we are stronger than we think. And it's time for us to take a page from Terry Fox and realize that we are much more capable than we think. And we need to let those fears and doubts go to the wayside and start running, just like Terry Fox did. You know, the second uh, thing that Jeremiah says is that he's too young. And we already talked about how the age that he was, but, you know, it's interesting how he, he viewed himself as too young. And not too long ago, uh, last uh, Friday night, we had an awesome singles devotional two, a week and a half ago. And we studied out how the 12 spies who were sent by Moses to scout out the promised land, that 10 of them came back with a bad report and two of them came back with a good report. The two that had a good report were Caleb and Joshua, and they both said, we can totally do it. We can take the promised land. Let's go. The other 10 said, there's no way we could do it. We, there, was, there, was, there was these big, tall walls. There was these guys. There were Nephilim. There was, they were really, really tall. They were like Evan Bartholomew height. I, I mean, we, we look like grasshoppers to them, and we look like grasshoppers to ourselves. That's what actually the scripture says in Numbers 13. And I wonder for us how many of us still view ourselves as grasshoppers. Or do you see yourself as a lion? Or even better, a lion killer. How do you view yourself? Do you see yourself as the, the prophet to the nations that is going to come to that table at Tim Hortons and study the Bible with that guy or with that gal and help change their lives? Do you see yourself in that way? Or do you still see yourself as, I, I'm, I'm a sideline guy. I'm a sideline guy. I, 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 can't, I don't know enough. I'm too young. Jeremiah had those same fears and doubts. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. 
Romans 8, verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That is what we are, church. We are more than conquerors. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. We are the ones who separate ourselves. It's up to us to accept that call, the same call that Jeremiah had, the call to be righteous, to be a prophet to the nations. Are you with me? Let's go to our second point. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 13. Point number two, calling out the unrighteous. In verse 13, the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling. No, this isn't for noodles. Okay, don't be thinking that. Not for, for, not for instant noodles, okay? It is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come up and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. You know, this was the core of Jeremiah's message. In fact, most of the 52 chapters you'll read are doom and gloom. Most of what he preaches is calling out the unrighteous for what they were doing, calling out the wickedness. And as disciples, we do the very same thing. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, it says that we renounce secret and shameful ways. As disciples, we are of the light, and we call out the darkness. You know, I, I personally love that moment at Bible Talk, and maybe you guys are, are, can relate with me. The, the moment at Bible Talk where you have all those fun questions, you know what I mean? Like, like what's your favorite fruit, you know, and like... You know, what, what was your favorite toy growing up, you know, and like, it's really easy, like softball questions, you know, but then our Bible talk leader will, you know, eventually get to a, a like a good, solid question, you know, like, like, so people forsake God today. Why do people forsake God? You know, and it's like you, you feel the, the sudden change and some of us maybe get a little bit anxious in that moment, right? Because we're a little uneasy. Others of us get a little excited, right? I get excited. And I love being the first one to answer there and just, like, setting the tone. I'm like, yeah, I, I have an answer. I think people smoke marijuana, get drunk, and sleep around to forsake God. And I love doing that because it sends such a clear message to everyone who's there. We're not your average kumbaya singing Christian group. I love it. We are not your, your, your standard, typical little religious people. We actually call stuff out, we actually live by the Bible, and we actually tell you to stop doing what you're doing. It's time to for, for, forsake your old ways and bring in the new. I love that moment, and that is similar to what Jeremiah had on his docket as he preached to the nation of Judah. You know, we have four idols in our generation that I think we all, all got to be aware of. And especially for our campus and singles, the first one is our, the idol of social media. We, we put social media and we make a little altar. And we go to that altar and sacrifice our time. Giving ourselves and starting to compare ourselves to others on social media. 
it's such a destructive habit that we all need to be aware of. I'm not saying you need to stop using social media. What I am saying is that you need to make sure it's not an idol in your life. The second one is the idol of greed, pursuing money, letting money be your God rather than Jehovah being God. The third one, the idol of impurity and pornography. This is one that is, is rampant in our generation. I mean, there is there's more business in the porn industry than many, that are, many uh, essential services in the nation of Canada. If you looked at the profit margins of the porn industry. And you got to wonder, why? Because they have an audience. Because they have a devoted audience. And as disciples, we call out that idol, and with everyone that we sit down, we call it out in their lives too. The fourth one I think is the most damaging, the idol of self. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. It's all about how I feel. It's all about what I think. And that idol will eventually bring you to destruction. But it's up to us to renounce those ways and, re and help those that we're studying with to renounce those ways and give their lives over to Christ. Let's see what uh, Jeremiah says to the people in Jeremiah 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. It's kind of like a Rich Chan moment. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You know, First, the, the first sin that Jeremiah lays out is that they forsake God, the spring of living water. Now, you guys may remember that phrase, living water, because it's the same phrase that Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, where he says that I can give you living water of which you will never go thirsty. Isn't that not awesome? God is the spring of living water, and when he gives us his Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism, according to Acts 2.38, we ourselves become springs of living water. And it's awesome because today, Rayshon has come to be baptized into Christ to become a spring of living water. I'm, I'm particularly excited about Rayshon getting baptized because he owns a motorcycle. And that means that when I get my motorcycle here from California, once winter is done, we're going to be initiating a disciple motorcycle gang. And now, now I just need to convince Tony and Frank to get their motorcycles. And we got to come up with a cool name, you know, maybe a, like da Dangerous Disciples, you know, or I don't know. We, we'll come up with something. But uh, it's awesome. When you were baptized, you became a spring of living water. That's the, the first sin that Jeremiah alludes to is forsaking God. But then the second one you may... You may read it, and you're a little bit puzzled as to what a cistern is. So a cistern is a container that is used to grab rainwater. Oh, do we? Oh, yeah, industrial engineer right here. That's right. Yeah. So cisterns catch the rainwater so that you can use it, obviously, later for, for whatever purpose you need. And so a broken cistern that has a leak in it is useless. It is a purse that has a hole in it. Likewise, it is an illustration for us of what sin is. Sin is that cistern that you think is going to fill you up, but in fact it has a leak, the water's going right out. 
it's that purse that you think you're saving your money into, but then it falls right out. That is the sin, the perfect analogy for sin. It promises much and delivers little. Look over in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? Look up to the barren heights and see, is there any place where you have not been ravished? By the roadside you sat waiting for lovers, sat like a nomad in the desert. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore, the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend, from my youth? Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. That's Bible talk. Can you Im imagine for a moment God giving you this message for your quiet time? saying, go tell the people. Gives you a little bit of a clue, an insight into how Jeremiah preached. You know, and I got to ask us today, is, is the word of God a fire in our bones? You know, we don't need to turn there, but in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, we read some incredible words by Jeremiah. And he says that, your word is like a fire shut up in my bones. It is in my heart like a fire. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Is God's word a fire in your bones? To call out the unrighteousness of our generation. I think some of us still shy away from calling people out. We study the Bible with people time and time again, and we keep playing softball questions with them. We don't actually call them to repent. We don't actually call them to change their ways, to change their minds. And it's been awesome to study the Bible with Rayshon this last week. Because we have seen his heart and his mind totally change. He's giving up relationships, giving up this, giving up his old ways, giving up his old habits, doing whatever it takes. He even said that if his motorcycle doesn't work on that particular morning, he's going to be walking six hours to church. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to make it there no matter what. He even Google mapped it to make sure it was like six and a half hours, all the way from Scarborough. <laughs> and his heart changed. The word is like a fire in his bones. And so for us, we've got to ask ourselves, is that word a fire in our bones? We don't have time to go there, but in Jeremiah 36, I encourage you to read this because King Jehoiakim is a wicked king who is hearing the message from Jeremiah, this same message that you're filling the land with prostitution, you're a wicked king, you're doing all these things. And he tells him and gives him a scroll so that he can know exactly what God wants. And you know what Jehoiakim does with that scroll? He starts reading it. And the Bible accounts that he grabs a knife and starts cutting out parts that he didn't want to hear. He starts cutting. He reads three, three or four lines, cuts it out. Tosses it into the fire. Eventually, he gets through the whole scroll. The whole scroll is in the fire now. Jeremiah, you know what he does? He writes another scroll. <laughs> we don't have time to turn there. Jeremiah 36, an amazing chapter detailing, in fact, what happens today. Is it not what happens today? People look at the Bible and they say, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Oh, got to get that one out of there. Okay, all right, that's better. What's another one? Meetings of the body. 
We got to show up to church that many times a week? Okay, Hebrews 10. Uh, do not give up meeting together. Okay, give up meeting together. <laughs> Is that not true? How about Ephesians 5 verse 3? Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Okay, well, I, I want more than a hint. So, yeah. They cut it out. Am I right? How many churches actually call people out for being immoral? How many churches actually call people out for smoking pot? I grew up in the Catholic Church all my life. No one ever sat me down and said, you shouldn't be smoking pot. You should not be getting drunk. You should not be sleeping around. And for us, we, there's so much to be grateful for that, that the truth is preached in our church. That the truth is preached every single week. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 1 for our final point. Get yourself ready. In verse 17, as Jeremiah is about to be em, em, embarked on his prophetic ministry, look what God tells him in verse 17 through 19. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them. Those are comforting words. Or I will terrify you. It's <laughs> pretty intense right there, right? I mean, God's not playing around. He had a message for the people, and he was going to say, Jeremiah, you better preach the message, or I'm going to terrify you before them. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you. I love this response from God, that he'll make Jeremiah strong. Despite Jeremiah feeling weak, I'm too young, I can't do it, it's not, I, I'm not able. God says, no, I'm going to make you able. I'm going to give you the strength. You know, one of uh, the nicknames given to Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. And this is primarily because Jeremiah 31.16 says, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. Essentially, God telling Jeremiah, stop crying, <laughs> indicating that Jeremiah was crying. And this is very fitting for my son. My son is a lot like me. He's the weeping prophet. <laughs> I was the weeping prophet as a kid. Maybe you can relate. The kid that was always reacting and like always having a tantrum, always having a fit. So I was the weeping prophet in my family. Uh, my sister found ways to like get me to weep and get me to cry. And so I'd always be the one getting in trouble, you know. So... Yeah, yeah. It's the middle child syndrome, you know? And so Jeremiah being the weeping prophet, I, I love the other reason that he's called the weeping prophet because he also writes the book of Lamentations, which to lament is essentially to weep over. And I think that Jeremiah's heart broke over the fact that his nation did not respond to the message. In fact, he preaches and preaches and preaches. Judgment still comes, and Babylon takes them into captivity. And I believe his heart broke. He cried because he cared. And I think for us as disciples, we can learn from that, can't we? You know, like Natalia said, I love that Natalia shared about her heart in this way. I mean, I, I didn't talk to her about my lesson. You know, she didn't tell me about her communion. But in a very real way, we can become very guarded as disciples because we don't want to be hurt. We don't want to weep. We don't want to cry. I, I know for me, that I, I, I actually want to cry now. I, I want to find ways to cry. <laughs> Can anybody relate with me? 
And, you know, there's, there's always some movies that kind of, like, really tug on your heart, you know. So, like, there's a, there's a Disney movie called Coco that, that gets me to cry almost every time. And, you know, it's like certain movies just really pull those heartstrings. But, you know, for Jeremiah, his heartstrings were pulled because the people did not respond. And I think for us, we've got to ask ourselves, do we have, number one, a preaching full of hope of which it is disappointing? Meaning, do you preach in the hopes that people will repent and are disappointed? Or do you preach with disappointment already in there? You don't even give people a chance to actually hear the message of hope. And I think in our preaching, in our sharing our faith, are we active in bringing people out to church? You know, I love that we call each other to share our faith. To say, hey, excuse me, would you like to come to church with me? That, that conversation is so special. Isn't it? I mean, you know, we, don't, we can't let the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons have a monopoly on that. We've got to get the truth out there. And actually break those social barriers and say, hey, do you want to come to church with me? And full of hope, invite them out. And then be disappointed at times. Be disappointed that they did not come. Be disappointed that they turned away. Be disappointed and have a weep because we care. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet for that very reason. I think some of us have the wrong perspective of being weak. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10, the Bible says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think some of us try to front way too often like we're all that in a bag of chips. Like we're all that. Exactly. Tony just did what, what I was thinking. Yeah. You just, you just think you're all that in a bag of chips. You do a Z formation. You just think you're all that. And you think you're strong for appearing strong instead of being vulnerable, just like Natalia was. She was vulnerable and weak in showing us her heart. It takes guts to come up here and talk about how you used to be a castle full of dragons, and now you're a glass box, and now you're, you're cracking that glass box open. That's awesome. I can relate with that a lot. And for us as disciples, we've got to ask ourselves, how weak are we this morning? In the sense that how much are we willing to get out on the battlefield and become weak? Let's finish out here in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. Lamentations chapter 3, as I said, this is what Jeremiah wrote as well. After 52 chapters of his prophetic ministry, most of the book of Lamentations is more doom and gloom, in fact. <laughs> but in, verse, uh, in chapter 3, verse 21, we see some incredible words. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Amen? For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Jeremiah lived this out. And at the end of his life, there was only Baruch. His good old Baruch. <laughs> his ride or die, Dominic Toretto and Paul Walker. What was Paul Walker's name in Fast and Furious? Ryan? Brian. That's it, Brian. Dominic and Brian. Baruch right there. Faithful right there with Jeremiah. And Jeremiah looks back and 
he, sees a, he feels a lot of distress in his heart. If you read chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> he, gets, he, he, he talks about how he became a laughingstock to his people. They mocked him. They filled him with bitter herbs. I mean, they just did all these things to him. And the word that I want to leave us with this morning, to be righteous in an unrighteous generation, is the word yet. All the wickedness of our generation, yet I will be righteous. Despite having a terrible day, yet I will read my Bible. Despite having a terrible morning, yet I call this to mind, I will share my faith. That is the mindset of Jeremiah. To be righteous in an unrighteous generation, to have the yet mentality. That no matter what we go through, no matter what storms we go through, that we can ultimately go to God and he can be our portion and that we can be righteous in an unrighteous generation. To God be all the glory.